This is Filtered Through Fiction, where we look at life through the lens of our favorite fiction. This week, brand new book. What? Trouble the Saints by Alea Don Johnson. It might be Alaya, but... Yes. Yeah, the interesting thing about this book is um, that we both have page one books... Subscriptions. Box, box subscription subscriptions, boxes. I guess. Yes, yes. And um, they sent us the same book. Yes. <laughs> so if you don't know, it's like a it's like a surprise. It's like Christmas every month. Yeah. They're they, literary matchmakers. Them, yes. You tell them your like preferences, your favorite types of things, and then they call themselves, yep, literary matchmakers, and they send you a book. And everyone I've read from them so far, and I've had their membership for over a year now, like almost two, I think, yeah. has been amazing. And the one, yeah, one month they sent us both the same <laughs> book. So we took it as a sign that it's got to be a podcast book. It had to be. It's like, what do you do when your literary matchmaker sends you and your book bestie the same book? Seriously. You fucking do it on your podcast. <laughs> you you read what. it together and you talk about it a lot. So this might seem like it's sponsored, but it is not. Not sponsored. Although we are happy to be sponsored if you'd like to. Yes, please. Sponsor us, please. <laughs> we will take subscriptions as our payment, please and thank you. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and with that, you got a uh, recap for I me? I do. It's my turn to try my hand at <laughs> Sassy was, Recaps. I was so happy that you offered because I was like, oh man, it's hard to do books that we you don't know. Yeah, so neither one of us has read this book before. And that makes it very difficult <laughs> to, to do a recap be because, like, I don't know if this is going to come up again later. And I actually mentioned that in the recap <laughs> there at you one go. point. I'm like, I don't know if this is important, is but I'm going to say important? it anyway. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Because who knows? All right. Well, let's goddamn do this. Okay. I have to preface it with one thing. There's, like, again, like, wicked. There's sections and then there's chapters within the sections and then there's also these weird little chapters that don't have names or numbers but they're like a pair of cards yeah there's a lot of stuff going on we're assuming on. the cards mean something yes there <laughs> there's like numbers and superstition and oh my gosh we have a lot to talk about but anyway so we're gonna just read this we're gonna call this episode one and it begins with part one saints came in And there's like a little card intro and then chapter one. And we're going to do a couple chapters today. So So (sighs) if everything goes according to the plan, we'll have 10 episodes. If we we don't talk too much. We we had no idea. We have no idea what to expect with this book. Who the hell knows? (laughs) Who knows? All we know is it's Harlem and it's 1940 something. 1940 something. We begin with a dream. Our narrator, a 35-year-old light-skinned black assassin named Phyllis LeBlanc, has had a dream. But not just any dream, a spicy dream. While discussing it with her dentist-slash-lover, we learn a few things. This is not her first dream. This is, in fact, her second dream. And it's a big deal. (laughs) This is significant, apparently. Because the first dream, dream, 
The first dream is like your Hogwarts letter. Right. It assigns you your hands, <laughs> quote, hands, or magical assassin skills. Did you did you have any moments where you're like, you're about to catch these hands? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Um your hands are your magical assassin skills and potentially a large amount of lotto winning juju. Uh, Phyllis's skill happens to be an uncanny ability with darts and knife throwing or knives in general. Um, but your second dream is your death sentence. Maybe or I at think least your skills death sentence. Yeah. At this point, it's very confusing. This is yeah. a very confusing world building for my dumb little brain at this point. <laughs> Anywho, Phyllis's dream consists of a job assignment delivered by a man named Vic, a pair of severed hands appearing in her knife holsters, and a warning, maybe, from a man named Redman, don't fail us. The rapper. <laughs> yes, all I could think of was Redman and Method Man. Yeah, I was like, I was like, was not Redman uh, a rapper? Because all I could see was Method Man. Yeah. Like, the actual person. Yeah. And I was like, I'm pretty sure that's Method Man, but was it Redman? Yep. Wu-Tang. Uh, Redman's warning is don't fail us, which is laughable because Redman of all people knows she never fails. The dream ends with a voice calling her name, but she doesn't say whose voice it is. Um, other quick things we learn: she's one of three siblings, two of which are magic, one of which is dead. And she hasn't worked for Vic in seven months and in fact was wanting out. Phew. Okay. Chapter one. It was Dev's voice calling her name at the end of the dream. No wonder she didn't tell the dentist. Who tells their current lover they just dreamed about their ex-lover? <laughs> My dude, the dentist, has strong opinions about all the rascals in Phyllis's life. Victor, Redman, and Tamara, Phyllis's best friend and the star of the famous snake dance at the Pelican Club. Right. Should I be nervous? We're about to uh, revisit the philosophy <laughs> club scene from Wicked. Oh, shit. I did not even think about that. <laughs> she speaks a different kind of parcel Yeah. Uh, regardless of his opinions, she keeps him around because her proximity to his whiteness makes it easier for her to pass to get into places. He also happens to be fairly handsome, mostly unproblematic in mixed company. Oh, and his wife doesn't mind. They continue to... <laughs> Best of all the worlds, right? I guess. Yeah. They continue to discuss her dream and work, and she reminds him she is only assigned bad people. She's basically the Dexter Morgan of the Russian mob, if you will. There you go. Hindu Dev had taught her about karma and is maybe a pacifist whose influence guided her previous mm, half-hearted decision to cut back on the uh, cutting for hire. <laughs> but now she has to choose between this life or trying to move in with her sister and family, who would be not very excited to house a murderess. The dentist asks if she is afraid. Phyllis says it's only superstition. She knows someone who's had four dreams and rumor has it Vic himself has had seven they fall back asleep, and at the extremely rude hour of, ah, oh, hell no, o'clock, <laughs> the dentist wakes Phyllis to tell her, M. Night Shyamalan, ghost reveal style, that there's a lady <laughs> on her stairwell. <laughs> she grabs some knives and runs out to find a very beaten up lady with a gun and a note in her pocket. The note is a very gross, kind of mansplainy, gaslighty, weird introduction from Vic to Phyllis of Marianne West, her new target. Details to follow via Redman. Marianne comes to and makes a weak attempt to pull the gun, which Phyllis easily halts, then tries to get out of her what she's done. Marianne doesn't answer and just walks away. 
The cowardly dentist has peaced out, so Phyllis entertains herself with some fun party tricks with the lighter Dev gave her, and reminisces on how she gave up Dev and chose murdering a big nasty murderer by the name of Trent Sullivan, who just happened to leave all his victims with missing hands. Fuck you, Trent Sullivan. Fuck you, Trent (laughs) Sullivan. Fuck you and you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, chapter two. Phyllis goes to visit her sister Gloria and take her niece Ida and nephew Sonny to the park. On the way there, some lovely young soldiers try to invite her out for a drink to, you guessed it, the philosophy club, I mean the pelican. (laughs) She tells them she might see them there later. After a bit of an icy greeting from Gloria, Phyllis and the kids head to the Central Park Zoo. Phyllis is nervous in her old neighborhood and is incriminated by reminiscences from the neighborhood gossips who reveal to her niece and nephew that she used to run numbers for the neighborhood. Ida enjoys witnessing some of Phyllis's lighter tricks, while Sonny judges like a cishet white male evangelical in front of a Chicago Planned Parenthood. <laughs> like father, like son. I know, this is <laughs> real Malfoy vibes. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Sonny's childlike innocence and parroting of his father's bullshit leads him to scaring the shit out of his sister by saying Phyllis's abilities will make people take her hands. And isn't that what happened to Uncle Roger? Phyllis tells him to STFU and then recalls how Trent Sullivan took all those people's hands in an effort to get rid of the juju. We learn more about her childhood as a child of a single mom. Her white passing father had stepped out often enough. Her mom finally kicked him to the curb. She remembers how scared Gloria was that Sonny would get his saint hands when he turned 10. Spoiler alert, he didn't. Racism and colorism take their toll in the zoo as Phyllis passes enough to get the kids in, but can't stop the unfriendly neighborhood Hitler youth from their KKK ways. Phyllis uses her uncanny aim to throw a rock at the bulge in one of the boys' pockets. No, you perv, it's not that. It's a toy BB gun, and it makes him go ouchie. (laughs) She takes the kids to get ice cream. Final chapter for today. Chapter three. Chapter three. Phyllis arrives home to Red Man waiting at her door. She pours them drinks. Red Man tells a story about Vic stabbing the old bartender through the hand for fun. In her head, Phyllis waxes poetic some more about Dev, the Hindu ex-lover, bartender, pacifist, mystery man that we still haven't met. She ponders if the dream was really true, an oracle of the imminent desertion of her power. Ah, so not her death. I'm much less confused. Thank you. Red Man explains that Tamara insisted on reading his cards that morning. I don't know if that's significant, but I'm telling you anyway. Yeah, like, like are they like tarot cards? Yeah. Like, what are we doing here? I, I don't know. I don't know. Gave him some numbers that I guess he could play in the, the lottery or the policy or whatever. I don't know. Anyway, Phyllis finally pulls her assignment out of him. Surprisingly, he didn't know about Marianne's beatdown. Redman and Phyllis have some history. He calls her out on liking what she does, reminds her that she's one of few people who knows his real name, Walter Finch. It's white people who call him Redman. He tried to let her and Dev get out a while ago, but then he figured out that she does like it. She accuses him of liking it too. He says he did, but then reveals he has a family and now it's too late. He does it for them so they can be better, but she could still leave. She has no family that he's aware of. Phyllis finally gets Walter slash Redman to tell her what Marianne did. He shows her a photo of a crime scene, the dead body of a white man missing his hands. She tells him she dreamed about this and asks him, does it work, Walter? If they're going to kill us for our hands, do they at least get something from them? Revealing yet more mystery about this damned hand thing that I'm still not sure I understand or ever will. (laughs) Right. 
Like, what is going on? <sighs> it's like Hogwarts meets Dexter meets X-Men. Yes. I like that. That's the one sentence <laughs> recap. <laughs> Too long, didn't read. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, what do you think? This well, is a well done on your recap. <sighs> oh gosh, thanks. That was yeah, tricky. It is really hard to do a recap on a book you've never read. <laughs> yeah, because you're like, if I leave this out, is it going to come back later? No. And if I don't write it down, I'm not going to remember. True. <laughs> so it basically True. just rewrote the entire book. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Are you ready to talk about some shit? I think so. I think so. Okay. I don't have a ton for that much information. It was definitely a lot of history. Like it was, I felt like it was a lot of, here's what's happening right now, but here's what happened in the past. Yeah. Do you have any topics? I do. Themes? things to discuss. I do. I had four and a quote that I liked. Ooh. So. Ooh, I wonder if we have the same quote. Probably. Was okay. it towards the end? Um, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> probably. But the first thing that I, I mean, I went all page one on this because okay. I have my page one page darts Aww. and my page one bookmark. Oh, I love it. It's actually it. inadvertent, to be honest. <laughs> um, but I might have as a page well. one bookmark too, but that's because every month when I get my book, probably I stick the, the page mark, the bookmark yeah. into the book. It's the bookmark that came with it, most likely. Mm-hmm. We are in chapter one, where I believe we are just kind of talking about the dream between the dentist and Phyllis, but she is kind of, I think, thinking about the fact that Dev never really loved her job within this mob, but it says, to Dev, there was no such thing as holy violence. Mm. And, I mean, I know by the time this comes out, it will be old <laughs> news. Mm-hmm. Um, but that idea that there is really no violence that we can justify, meaning, like, it's never a good option, you right. know? And so one is the whole Will Smith slapping Chris Rock thing. Yeah. And, you know... I mean, I don't have a specific... I mean, there are already a million pieces of commentary on the specific thing. Like, I'm not really addressing that exact moment, but I think it's a great illustration of doing a violent thing for reasons that you feel very strongly about. You know, like, I'm sure some of that was really rooted in his love for his wife. Right. Like not, and, and now immediately jumping out of that specific moment. Yes, yes. You know, because I've also been reading um, the book, How the Word is Passed. Okay. And holy shit, is it so hard to stomach. Yeah. And I'm like irritated at the amount of privilege in that exact statement, you know, coming out of my own mouth. But just the way we have, not you know, the world at large has pretended like violence was the right option because we have some holy cause, some righteous thing that justifies our need, air quotes, to respond in violence. And how, you know, 
Dev had it right. And, yeah. you know, he said, like, perhaps he's a pacifist, but yeah. the idea that there's no such thing as holy violence. It's just violence. Yeah. Yeah, I have I have been, this has been on the top of my mind a lot lately, too, because I have claimed pacifism as my, like, ism, <laughs> you yeah. know, um, for a lot of years. Like, I, I just do not believe that there is any good reason for any type of violence. And what I've been learning, um, just in the last, this last week or so since, yeah, with the slap heard around the world, the capital T capital S the slap (laughs) is one words can be violent. Words are violence. Sure. And words that, you know, the whole sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me isn't true. It's like, Like, I think words often hurt more. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. And so when you stop to think about the violence of words, that is something that I really need to work on. If I'm going to call myself a pacifist, I need to keep... Fucking good point. I need to keep my words anti-violent also. Right. Um just to interject one small thing and then I'll shut up and let you talk. No, you're fine. You know, one of the things that I have learned reading, like I, the place, the place I've read them is Brene Brown's work. I'm sure they exist in other places. That's just where I've learned. But the truth of the fact that like psychological trauma actually hurts Mm -hmm. in the same, like for your brain, like, you know, it actually, registers that kind of trauma as the same as physical pain right exactly so really like words will never hurt me that's actually not true yeah like your brain processes that as an actual physical pain yep yeah so that's something that I personally need to work on and I need to consider because you know that is a big piece of I know we're trying to get away from the slap, but (laughs) that conversation was, you know, what was said was violence also because of the circumstances and because of, you know, all these things. Um, So that's, that's part of it for me. But another thing I've been struggling with is this idea that, you know, me as a white woman saying violence is never the answer and getting called out by a lot of members of the black community saying, cool, 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 cool. You live on stolen land and yeah. you, you know, you come from, and, and my fragility rising up and saying, yeah, I, I, I know that I'm aware of that. And I didn't do that. And I'm trying to make reparations in my own personal way yeah. for that. And I'm trying to teach my kids better and I'm trying to learn and I'm, that you know, one of the arguments I've seen is the same people saying violence is never the answer are the same people who are, you know, pro Second Amendment, crazy gun rights people that stormed yeah. the Capitol. And I'm like, but, but no, I'm yeah. not. Like, yeah. I'm fully like, not. Hard no. <laughs> like, hard no on all of that. Hard no on the death penalty. Hard yeah. no on, you know, militarized police bullshit like I'm a hard no on literally all violence like I don't like any of it and I don't think any of it is necessary and I've had a really hard time like trying to step back and like not hashtag not all people not all white women (laughs) you know know, like not 
be defensive. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, like I've had conversations. I have a pretty hard right friend that, you know, through the years we've had multiple conversations that have been eye opening to say the least. And, you know, one of one of his pro gun arguments, pro personal, you know, arsenal arguments is what if somebody what if somebody came in your house and was raping your kid? What would you do? And I'm like, well, I sure as shit wouldn't shoot him because if they're raping my kid, I take a huge risk of also shooting my child. You know, like would I fight back in that circumstance? probably I would like to think so but also we know I'm not good in emergencies (laughs) (laughs) you know like but I mean self-defense is a completely different situation and that's not that's not being an aggressor right at that point you're literally protecting yourself and right in the best way that you can but like at the same time what I've answered to him as he is a very strong Christian is where does it say where does it say that because somebody's hurting my child, I get to kill them? I don't, I don't think so. (laughs) I don't think that's how it works. So again, holy violence. I don't think so. Yeah. It, it's not holy. There isn't a, there's not an amount of violence that is good. And there's no religion out there that says that. Yeah. That I'm aware of. I mean, people try to say that's what, you know, the Twin Towers was about or whatever. But that wasn't a religious thing. That was an extremist thing. Right. You know, or whatever. That's, man, I'm getting way political. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, it's a huge soapbox of mine. I just, yeah, holy violence is not, that's what has destroyed society. Yeah. You know, the, what was it called? <laughs> the, the, the thing where all the Christians went and they killed all of the... The Crusades? Yeah, that, you know. Yeah. All of that stuff. That's all, that's not how it should be. <laughs> that's not okay. Agreed. <laughs> I don't like it. Soapbox. Sorry. Getting down now. No sorries. <laughs> what about you? Um, well, I, I mean... I did write in the recap and in my margins this whole Dexter thing Yes, <laughs> about how, you know, so staying on the track of this holy violence, her job is an assassin. She has made a deal with Vic that she will only do jobs for him that are for justice. Justice. Yeah. Bad people. Bad murderers. Murderous murderers and rapists is basically the only ones that she'll take care of for him and how that's this very Dexter Morgan kind of, you know, (laughs) where at the same time I'm sitting here going no violence, but also shows like Dexter make you root for the the person who's honestly like a bad guy i mean if you're gonna kill people kill the murderer dexter was my tv boyfriend for a long time (laughs) that's a big deal (laughs) right (laughs) yeah i don't know i just that whole concept is uh kind of a mind fuck for me because Yeah. yeah like i don't i don't want there to be violence but also like but if it's gonna exist if it's gonna exist i only want it to be 
<laughs> that kind. <laughs> it uh, makes you mind fuck yourself. <laughs> exactly. Um, I had one other in chapter one that's kind of, I mean, it's kind of throughout, but I wrote it down on chapter one that's very non-related. So we can get off the violence subject if we're done with that. <laughs> sure. I only had one other thing in chapter one and ooh, it's a good one. Oh, okay. But I want to hear yours. Okay. Well, it was just the this whole concept of dreams in general. Mm. Just, I mean, I don't have any juju. I don't say that that's not a thing. Maybe it is out there, but, um, but dreams in general and dream interpretation. And just if there's, if you have, I don't know if you have any um, experience with that or... Like, um, well, thoughts on, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I'm trying to run all of this through a filter in my brain that isn't rude. <laughs> Why? It's just, it's just interesting, you know, like actually while I'm thinking of it and this will end up going into my point oh, good. pretty well Okay, is... Man, like, and I am honestly just now having this point. And when I'm going to make a comment about a church, I am making a comment specifically targeting the church I grew up in. Okay. This is not me attacking every church that's out there. Got like, it. I, we currently quasi attend. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I got to play guitar because it's fun. Uh, but so like what the fuck <laughs> is the line between calling out people who are performing some kind of witchcraft at fortune telling uh-huh, uh-huh. or something like that uh-huh. but then being somebody who is an authority in a church is somebody who can help interpret your dreams uh-huh. oh yeah prophecy do We've already heard my, yeah. oh, we've already heard my soapbox yeah. <laughs> on yeah. prophecy back in uh, Philosopher's Sorcerer's Stone. Yeah. Um, but like, it's Where's like the they're, line? Yeah. well, it's like their hypocrisy knows, knows no bounds, no bounds. Yeah. you know, but yeah, like one of the, uh, one of like, like if I remember my dreams and it's one that's like stressful for me, it is always about my teeth rotting. <gasps> Oh my God. Oh my God. Same. <laughs> right. I have, well, I do have several recurring dreams, but <sighs> so I like have like one three, of my big but ones. One of my big ones is the teeth. And I had a massive teeth one this, this week. Oh shit. Like full on. You did say you've been having bad anxiety. I have not been sleeping well. I have been having bad anxiety. Yeah. I have had multiple nights in a row where I've had really active dream. And <laughs> one of them was like a, an hour long movie. Oh God! About my teeth falling out, and like mm. not just mm. my teeth, like this and then is, snakes are my other recurring oh, one. Mine's plane crash. I have I have one that's just like literally a plane crashes in the backyard of the house that I mm. grew up in. One is like an action movie with chase scenes. I had that one last night. I had one like I only had the dream once, but it was the most insane, like saga. If I had the ability <laughs> to, like, wake up and document it and remember mm-hmm. the details and then like the money to finance it i could have a blockbuster with the go. movies that i have it, the Just movies that i producer but the the tooth one this week it was like they're usually i don't know how long they are in in 
like real time but like in my dreams they feel like, like a they say full it's movie. seconds and yeah. i'm like there's no way my brain it process feels like an seconds. hour like at least sure. an hour maybe hour and a half but i'm hanging out with my best friend from high school angel and her and her sister have like a gift for me and it has something to do with my jeep and i'm like don't care <laughs> But I'm trying to be gracious and I'm like, okay, cool. Thanks. Like, what is this thing? And then I go to sleep in my dream. And when I wake up in my dream, all of like, like 12 of my front teeth are loose to the point of they're about to come out. <laughs> oh, I'm getting stressed. <laughs> and then I'm like, I wake up and I'm in, it's like a sleepover. Like I'm not at home. I'm with them and I'm with other people. And I met this new person who happens to be a dentist. So I'm like, okay, I'm like covering my mouth. And I'm talking to people and my teeth are literally like falling out into my mouth and I'm just picking them out and like tossing them. And I'm like, okay, maybe this guy can help me. And then I go in the bathroom and I go to take, and I go to take a look and like one of my back, like one of my molars on the top is coming is loose. And I'm like, oh shit, there's another one. And I go to pull it and literally the entire jawbone on the entire left side of my mouth, the top mm -hmm. jawbone, which is my freaking skull comes out in my hand and like in the mirror in the dream my face is like deformed and crooked because now i've got this whole cheekbone missing nope like what <laughs> fuck is that what is that please um, i'll have to talk you to your old my, pastor my dream interpreter and back in texas have them explain to me what the hell yeah. that was all about because i've heard that like losing a tooth in a dream is like significant to a change like i a forget change in what i forget what it meant but like i but remember like, what about losing a jawbone i remember specifically like having a dream where it was something to do with a house and like upstairs and downstairs and i come in contact with someone and she's like were you in the bottom floor or the top floor when you met this person and mm. so like even that meant something you yeah. know which I'm like, that's fine. That's not me dismissing dream interpretation. That's me saying, what's the fucking difference between yeah. that as a person in a church and, and a person that you call to get your fucking fortune told yeah. or tarot cards yeah. or whatever? Like, there's no line. No. You just call it holy yeah. because you're doing it and your interpretation comes from God. No, it doesn't. It comes from a book. Right. I watched you look it up. Yeah. From a person who probably was not in contact with God when they wrote the book. Right. Anyway, no, and that relates to this too because, like, this whole concept of this juju yeah. that they get when they get their hands, when they get their dream, and then Trent Sullivan and potentially Marianne West. Fuck you, Trent Sullivan. <laughs> fuck you, Trent <laughs> Sullivan. Cutting off their hands to get rid of the juju. Yeah. Like, the, the people who are against it yeah. are saying that's evil. That's wrong. The right. people who have it are like, cool, this is just who I am. Yeah. Like one of the people she's talks, she talks about like her uncle who, uh, like could tell when a storm was coming or yeah. something. And like, like somebody could, one of her relatives, I think maybe her grandmother could like quote, pick out the lightning yeah. in a storm. And like Dev could, uh, perceive threats. Yes. You know, and, I don't know. Yeah, like, like they're not useful. all. Yeah, like it's not bad stuff. Yeah, just because you decide that it is, and you cut people's hands off for it. Excuse me. Fuck you, Trent Sullivan. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. I'm like, ooh. Hopefully, we're just not getting one-sided info on Trent Sullivan, and it turns out he's not terrible. But 
But maybe for it now, wasn't him. Maybe it was now. Marianne West the whole time. Right? Mm. But kind of continuing on this like dream thing is um, how we have seen in this, it talks specifically about Victor claimed he had the hands, but no one quite believed him. He would make announcements out of his dreams, listing out his visions of those who had betrayed him. You learn to fear those if you wanted to last. And it reminds, well, like one, it's like using your platform to mobilize people to do something based on your visions, dreams, etc. And I think of that dumb fucking pastor who was like, the Lord has showed me who in our congregation oh. is a witch. Yeah. And I'm like, man, that is one prophecy shy of mobilizing people and it depends on on a literal witch hunt right like on a literal witch hunt like this is like fucking salem massachusetts yep. about to repeat itself depending on how rabid yep the people in your congregation might be able to be based on their belief in you yeah like that's fucking dangerous and what's gonna happen like you like he has to be held like culpable yep. if somebody in that congregation were to be like, Well, my pastor had a vision that you're a witch and witchcraft is bad, so now I have a I don't know, a holy mission uh-huh. to physically attack you or maybe they're gonna be like the people I, I mean, it's insane. Like, yeah. I I don't even, what's sad about it is, is like, it's really not so far-fetched yeah. for me to be able to envision people doing that. It's not far, like, I don't mean I think it's right. I'm no, just like, but oh like, yeah, it's like, yep, I can realistic. see that happening. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's not, it's not surprising that something like that would happen. Yeah, having just read another book uh, about like Salem witchcraft mm. or witch hunt type stuff and the the way that that history can repeat itself, right. it's just that shit's terrifying it's so and so scary. gross. Yeah, so gross. Well, that's yeah. my that's my spill on dreams. I like it. <laughs> I like it. I wondered. Yeah, I just I I really wanted to tell that tooth dream story. Sorry if anybody has like a phobia or yeah. <laughs> sorry if anybody is really grossed out. Although you probably already turned this off if you are. So like skip, skip, skip. <laughs> yeah. 15 seconds, 15 seconds. <laughs> she talked a really long time about this awful tooth dream where her jaw fell out. Man, like I had, my therapist did EMDR on me to rid myself of a dream. Oh, so wow. My Jesus camp one. Ugh, maybe I need that. Yeah, one more one more thing, and I think probably the same quote as you. Okay. <laughs> What's your other thing? My other thing was um, Red Man, when he's talking about how, like, he used to like the job. He used to yep. like being, you know, the second hand of, he and, he and Number two. Vic really created the business together. Yeah. But that he's kind of stuck in it now, and he's doing it for his family yeah. even though he would rather not be doing it for his family but to make it so that they can be better yeah and how that uh parental sacrifice of like i'm doing this so that you can have a better life yeah 
and how in some, I mean, I think I don't have any personal experience from that. I thankfully grew up in a fairly white collar, (laughs) you know, not like affluent, but fine, you know, life. But that, um, so many families where the parents are busting their asses or working jobs that they hate or working multiple jobs and they're not even around for their kids yeah. because they want to be able to provide a better life for them and how that has the potential to backfire True. also, you yeah. know, like uh, you want to do all of these things for your kids, but and then in the process of it, you're not even around. And yeah. sometimes the kids just want, to like sure hang out with you (laughs) sometimes you sacrifice you know some of that connection because it's important to be a provider yeah like I think for my dad like I think for him the most important thing as a dad was to make sure we were provided for you know and that doesn't mean we don't have memories like plenty of great memories plenty of fun times like like he did a lot of fun things with us, but you know, it was important for him when we hit milestones, like turning 16 and things like that. What, you know, obviously not just that, but when we hit various milestones as kids, like it was really important for him to provide like, even though they weren't great cars, like he made sure when we turned 16, we got a car for that birthday, you know, and yeah, it was just obviously kind of, I guess what, what he defined as being a father, a good dad was providing. Yeah. And I think probably for some of that, we, we probably did miss out, you know, there was a lot of times where, you know what, like church people are very demanding and <laughs> at least uh, that was my observation growing up. The yep, that the members of our church were very demanding of his time. Yeah. What was your first car? A Toyota Tercel. Okay. They very quickly he knew I loved trucks and I loved his, and um, it was just like a Ford Ranger. But I didn't have that long at all that he actually gave me his Ford Ranger and he got himself something else. Oh, nice. Mine was a 89 Nissan Sentra. Nice. Two-door stick shift. Mine were all stick shifts. Yeah. That's why I have a stick shift now because I loved it so much. And then all the (laughs) other cars I bought myself as an adult were all boring manual or boring automatics. And I was like, I need that manual transmission back, please. (laughs) I'm just fine with automatics. <laughs> I mean, I can still drive a stick shift. I have nothing against it. I just have always. Yeah. It's like, I don't want to bother. Yeah. Valid. Totally valid. Um, so, What's you know your... what? We're going to bring a little bit of redemption to the slap herd around the world. Oh, okay. Okay. Because, I mean, we, we can use page numbers again. <laughs> uh, That's true. Because I was going to say on page 21. But. She is, I believe she is kind of referencing, this is where she's on the, I think the bus or the train and the soldiers are kind of flirting with her. Oh, okay. Okay. This is where she has traveled to her sisters and they're kind of like having that moment at the door. Okay. And 
she has, I guess, this moment within her own mind where she says to Gloria, who is her sister, and Dev, my, and she is referencing how she has not done an assassin job. She hasn't done a kill in seven months. She says, my seven months would be a drop of virtue in an ocean of sin. And I know you have referenced it before, and I think maybe the next day or within the next couple of days, like within the slap herd of around the world, Will Smith posted that, you know, no, that wasn't right. That wasn't his best moment. Like, it's, you know, he says, I'm a work in progress. But the idea that who someone is and who someone was, who someone is and who they are trying to become are a very full picture. Yeah. And, you know, like a lot of times we want to see, or it's hard not to see someone do something wrong and then just define them by that exact thing for the rest of their lives. Yep. And giving, you know, like maybe that seven months for her is a drop of virtue in an ocean of sin, but it is a drop. Yeah. And allowing people the space to learn to do better and it doesn't mean because you say I'm a work in progress that you aren't held accountable for the things that you have done wrong or that you're not held accountable for bad decisions but I don't think it's fair to hold somebody accountable indefinitely for one thing for the rest of their lives now it's a process. Unless it's a murder. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Like, it's a process, um, and it's a lot of steps. It's doing, like, continually doing good things. Like, I'm not saying one good act erases everything right. else. But, like, it's a full picture. Right. It's not a pixel in the picture yeah. that somebody gets to be defined by good or bad. Right. You know, like, yes, like just because, Oh, look at all this money you donated, but like, Oh, but you also rape children. Like <laughs> all of the, and that's not referring to anybody <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> specifically. <laughs> right. Um, but like, you can't focus on just a pixel for forever. Right. You have to consider the full picture. Right. Well, and that's, I was just going to say that like that you can't take somebody's full picture of rottenness <laughs> And take one good thing and go, yeah. look, look, look how good they are. They're so good. Yeah. They're such a good person. It, it runs both ways. One. Yeah, exactly. But, and not to get like biblical, but I mean, this is the fruit of the spirit, right? Sure. This is the fruit of your nature. If yeah. you're by nature, this type of person and like you're, you know, I don't, this is the thing. Like for her, she's doing a job. She's trying to get out of a situation she's trying to rise up she's trying to do uh better for her life or whatever and she only kills the bad people and she's you know she's got all these justifications for why it's okay what her sister and what dev see is just just the murder murder and so you know for her that seven months is more than a drop it's a big deal it's really been her working on trying to be better and trying not to do this and trying to take their influence and do something with it. And the fact that they would probably dismiss it. Yeah. You know, like she said earlier when she was discussing, you know, thinking about if she could go live with Gloria, you know, she probably wouldn't be too hot on having a murderess in her house. Like even if she wasn't doing it anymore, 
her sister still would be judging her on that. Yeah. So yeah, it's a, it is a tricky subject and how do you know like when someone has really changed yeah like what's the what's the point at which they have quote proved yeah themselves as somebody new you know and like it is hard like to take it to something incredibly simple like um of a coworker who like nobody has any grace whatsoever when he is late because he had such a history of being late. And like in our work, when you're late, somebody stays till you get there. Yep. You know, it's not like, oh, like we can start without you or anything like that. It's just like, no. Like, yeah, somebody's holding like over. Somebody's holding over until you are here and ready to go. And so like that is the thing you are associated with. And then you improve for a year yeah not late once you know uh like actually making this really concerted effort to be a few minutes early and you know to take that consideration for others but then the one time that you're late again like nobody has any fucking grace for it you're like "Mm, this is what he does bullshit what he fucking does (laughs) like knew it wouldn't last you know and that's that's tough yeah you know like <laughs> what what is the line where yeah. you feel like you can finally like give somebody grace for a thing that they used to do habitually like yeah. literally the thing they're known for and then to actually turn that around and be very consistent with not being late for a full year and then one time and like everybody's just like man fuck that guy he's always late (laughs) (laughs) there's also like a internal lack of grace i find like i i do this i know someone who does it where you know they're you're working on something you're trying to get better at doing something you do a really good job at it for you know quite a while maybe you mess up maybe you make a mistake maybe you you know unintentionally one time do it and man the the guilt yeah like the like (laughs) self like flagellation yeah <laughs> but it's literally what yeah. i was like thinking of like it's like you got your own cat of nine tails yeah like, i am like, such a piece of shit god i'm never gonna get better at this even though you've got seven months <laughs> under your belt of doing a better job at it yeah that one time can really fuck you up it really can and like i i do it i know i have uh, in a relationship that i have where i will i'm really I have, I try to think that I'm pretty good about like taking constructive criticism. If someone were to say to me, Hey, this is something that you do pretty often. It's kind of frustrating or annoying. Could you just, I'd be like, Oh yeah, let me, I'm going to work on that. Thank you. And I feel like if I was given that with grace and then I worked on it for a while and then I did it again, if the person was, and if during the time I was working on it, I was getting encouragement. Sure. The, the one time I mess up, if that person pointed it out and just like, hey, I noticed that you did that thing again that we talked about, you know, I don't know if you even caught it, but just so you're aware, I feel like I'd be like, oh, fuck, you're right. Uh, I'm really sorry. And I'm going to 
get better. I'm going to keep working on it. But I know someone who like, if I point out like, hey, there's this thing, we've talked about it several times and it's kind of a nuisance, you know, could you please not watch it? it? Could you, I thought I was doing better. I thought I was doing better at that. God, fuck, I just can't do anything right. No, I mean, (laughs) that's like a, that is a shame spiral, right? Like, give yourself some grace. I'm not trying to be a bully. I'm just saying, hey, I know you've been working on this. I've pointed out the things that you've done a great job. I'm just pointing out again, like this one, you know, hey, yeah, this thing happened just to let you know, it's not a big deal. And when it's given in grace, it should be received in grace. Yeah. And that's a struggle. Anywho, I get it. Yeah. And then uh, I have a very type five. Ooh. Type five moment. Ooh, okay. Um, this, yeah, I don't think anything but the quote came from chapter three. So this is still chapter two. Mm. And uh, we're kind of getting a look into that whole like policy game, running mm. the numbers, which I kind of look at as kind of like a lotto. Yeah kind of thing and she is kind of thinking about like being the person who collected like collected the numbers it seems like it's the person who comes around like what's your bet 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 okay yeah. i'll go place your bets and then if you have winnings i'm gonna you know you're the number runner like yeah. literally the person who's running in between the two things yeah she's talking about the new kid who does it and uh she spots him kind of like running like literally (laughs) yeah and she says he was flushed and grinning and i figured that someone on his rounds had hit which i assume means one one. yeah and he was putting in extra for his 10 percent. i remember days like that even when the hit was for five dollars it felt good to think you had your part in their bit of luck and your own and um (laughs) i i think this ties but like directly but as someone who is a type five and it took a little bit for me to realize that my language for my core fear I guess like I just use different language than what all of the resources out there use for a type five but my fear is a fear of never contributing And I remember it was one of the Enneagram accounts, like, I I, I don't want to sound rude and say like the legit ones versus (laughs) like the meme ones. Yeah. Because, I mean, the people who run those accounts are all very knowledgeable. Yeah. But the one that is more about education versus like cool, funny memes. Right, right, right. Or like boiling your entire personality down to a coffee mug. Yes. Um. Like, their language was, like, the fear of being a burden to others. And I was like, that's my need to contribute, to feel like I am contributing here. And so I really, I really resonated with the idea of it felt good to think you did your part in their bit of luck. Yeah. You did your part in helping. Yeah, you contributed, like, in helping make this thing happen. Like, yeah, maybe I just collected, maybe I just literally took my two feet and ran, but like I was part of that, you know, and 
you can take that out to, to things that are much larger. You know, I think like at work, being a trainer and seeing the people you train be successful, like it feels really good to know like you contributed in their abilities at this job now, or I think as a parent, like yeah, all that parents contribute um, in seeing their children succeed and things like that. But man, I was like, ooh, like my, my type five got, like heartstring got plunked, I you know, that. <laughs> that one is how, um, at least for me, I'm not going to put this out there for every type five out there, but how like integral it is to feel like I'm useful here. Like me being here contributes and people see good or benefit from the fact that I'm here. Yeah. I love that for you. Thank you. (laughs) So cute. Those were all my points. Yeah. I think we both have our quote left. Is yours on page 35? It sure is. Is it the first full sentence after the and like <laughs> you can just read it <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what to say about it I it's another either. one of those like just <gasps> I like the way that sounds yeah the first half feels very cozy yeah <laughs> so at its easiest love is a blanket at its hardest a black mirror it isn't just your flaws that show stark against that high yellow skin. It's your ghosts. Whew. Yeah. At its easiest, love is a blanket. And I'm curious, like, uh, again, just with my upbringing and my brainwashing, um, <laughs> I can't help but hear the scripture love covers a multitude of sins. Oh. You know, and that, like, love is a blanket. Like, it is something that, like, covers you. Yeah, I don't know. That's but the black mirror. (sighs) I'm like, man, like, is that do you think it like a black mirror? A mirror is something meant to reflect, but like a black mirror would be something that isn't showing a true reflection. So what does that mean? If at its hardest, love is showing you a reflection that isn't true. Oh, but that's how I'm interpreting. Yeah. See, I took it because of the end of the sentence. Like it doesn't just show you yourself, but it shows you your ghost. Sure. Like to me, love as a black mirror is that love that, you know, you're your most truest self mm. with the person you're closest with. Right. So that means your worst traits come True. out the most too. Yeah. And I know I'm my meanest to my, <laughs> to my spouse. And I'm not proud of that. I don't like that. But that's love. Like It is. He gets to see me at my worst. But he also gets to see you at your best. But he gets to see me at my best. And in the my my nineness came out in that love is a blanket because of the comfort. Yeah. And just that, like, the warmth, the comfort, the coziness, the knowing I'm safe here. You know, what's the first thing? I know I'm not a first responder, but I watch a lot of TV shows about them. <laughs> doesn't matter what the freaking emergency is. What's the first thing they give them when they're sitting on the back of the ambulance and they're like, it's the sure. end of the movie, right? It's yeah. a fucking blanket. doesn't matter if they fell in a river or if they just <laughs> survived a fire. Yeah. They put a blanket around them. Yeah. It's comfort. So, yeah. Yeah. It was like, <sighs> it was a great quote. I love it. I'm not sure what else I have to say <laughs> yeah, about it. But. Exactly. I love it. I love that we both <sighs> had that. <laughs> 
that was all I had. <sighs> so hot seat time, eh? <laughs> hot seats. Hot seats. Get your hot seats. Do you have one? <laughs> <laughs> I have potentially two. Really? But I guess I kind of like thought about a second one, but really I only have one. They're both not deep. That's fine. And very superficial for the start of this book. Okay. Okay, so you had your first dream and you got your uncanny skill. What is it? Um, in real life? Yeah. Like what's an uncanny skill I have in real life? Well, yeah, like so like hers, she already had a knack for throwing darts. Sure. Right? That's what it said. So then when she got her dream, her it became uncanny. It became like so good. Like right. she can throw a rock and make somebody's gun go off in their pocket. So like, yeah, it's like your natural skill, but like then it becomes uncanny and it mm. becomes this like Honestly, not necessarily assassin like we talked about with Dev and, sure. you know. I think mine would be, and I will, I will prove it with a story. Ooh, okay. I think it would be an intuition around um, the only way I guess I could label it would be an intuition around... Um, relationships. Oh, okay. And I was, I was still in high school, but, uh, at least where I, where I was at in Texas, um, they, like, they had for, I don't really know who creates the districts, but it had to be, like, within the Assemblies of God, which is the denomination that, as a kid, we belonged to. And the Assemblies of God, like, has districts. No idea who's responsible for drawing those lines. But, like, (laughs) districts had youth conventions. And so if you were within that district's, you know. Boundaries. Boundaries. Then, like, you were invited to attend these youth conventions. Sure. And so, like, pretty big. But uh, I remember we were, like, on a break between sessions and I had come back into this huge ass sanctuary. And so like a pretty close neighboring youth group was also there. And I just was kind of like in the sanctuary sitting, waiting for the session to come back. And so I saw a youth pastor talking to like their um, like youth group's praise and worship leader. And I was like, as a 16-year-old kid or younger, I was like, there's something off about those two. And, like, in my brain, I was like, I bet they're having an affair. Whoa. And it was a few months later that the church scandal was <laughs> that they were having an affair and the child she was pregnant with <gasps> was his. Oh, snap. <laughs> and it is like a thing that has happened to me repeatedly, not necessarily seeing affairs or anything like that, but like like watching two people and being like, there's something there. Like Whoa. a freakish level of intuition over those things. So you'd be like an uncanny matchmaker. Or you could like call see you people. out or <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean I could be. Yeah. I could uh definitely monetize that skill and yeah. be like be a matchmaker. That's awesome. Or like if somebody was like, I think my significant other might be like seeing someone else or yeah. maybe into someone else, like I could just be like I could like 
find myself in the same coffee shop as those two. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, I like it. See, I anytime you go first, I immediately start thinking about something <laughs> that would that's like the same-ish, you know? So you said like my intuition and I was like, oh, my baby intuition. Mm. So I have had with two different women in my, like, you know, you're not supposed to be like, are you pregnant? Yeah. With people like, obviously like you don't say that, especially if it's because there's like a tummy, but I have had experiences twice in my life. One with a lady that I know who's been pregnant like five times and literally every single time, not showing, not like no way I would know. We're not that close. I look at her and I go, she's pregnant. <laughs> and then like three weeks later, it's literally she announces. It's the same thing. Like, yeah. I do not like, I, I mean, obviously in such a public platform, they were not doing anything Yeah, that I think anybody else would look at. It's not like they were like super close. Like I would, like if I'm, my memory is serving me correctly, probably like as far apart as you and I are right now, just chatting. But it's like, I can't even tell you what it is I saw. All yeah. I know is, is like something in me was like, yeah. there's, there's something there. That's exactly what it was so I with get it. both of these. And one of them, it was only once. She was pregnant twice, but it was with her second kid that I did it. And then the other one, it was literally like all five times. Every single time I looked at her and was just like, she's pregnant. And then a few weeks later, the announcement came. So I don't know exactly. I don't know monetizing wise or like job wise <laughs> how that would work. Maybe I would be like a human ultrasound you kind know what of thing and be do? like, you my do. uncanny <laughs> skill is like to tell you the gender and like health of your unborn yeah, baby. Maybe sure. that's what make you know ex- expands it. I was gonna say you could just like make it a. Like uh, like a road show, like uh, what's that dude's name who did Crossing Over with Jonathan somebody? Oh. And like the whole thing could be like the test is, is like they put an entire studio audience of women uh-huh. and then like it's how pregnant, accurately, pregnant, pregnant. how accurately can you actually guess? Three weeks along, seven weeks <laughs> yeah. along. boy future dentist right yeah that'd be great (laughs) i don't know silly silliness okay dev gave phyllis a lighter which is a gift that she obviously feels sentimental about okay so what is a gift large or small that you've been given that really the thing that's important about it is the sentimental attachment to it Oh. <laughs> yeah, same. I'm like, why am I asking this? Because I don't know this? what I'm going to answer. <laughs> I'm so bad with gifts, man. <sighs> Fuck, dude. Okay, so the easiest answer for me when anything gets brought up about sentimentality is like dad stuff, mm-hmm. right? So this is kind of a two-parter, but uh, my dad and I connected a lot even when I was a kid over music. Mm. I loved the Beatles and Simon and Garfunkel and Led Zeppelin because my dad loved the Beatles and Simon and Garfunkel and Led Zeppelin. Right. Yeah. So when he passed away, my mom is not into music. Like my mom always has music playing, but like it's literal background music. Yeah. She doesn't know the lyrics to a single damn song. She doesn't know who sings anything. Like my dad and I used to be able to sit and like, just listen. My mom's, she's not listening. It's just background noise. 
So when my dad passed away, my dad had a record collection that was huge. Um, but I was 16 and didn't, you know, have, I had like a CD player, a boom box, right? <laughs> I didn't really have that much interest in the records at the time because I didn't have any, I mean, I had to sit in the living room and listen to them on the record player and I wanted to spend time in my room at that time. Sure. But at a certain point later in life, she, she did still hold on to them. My mom got, my mom is not sentimental at all and got rid of a lot of stuff, which I still am holding against her <laughs> with a couple things, but Um, she did keep the records and she offered them up to me again at one point and I didn't even have a record player at all. And I was like, okay, fine. I'm taking these. And I took like very specific handful of records that I very clearly remember listening to with my dad just to have them never to listen to. So those themselves were important to me. And then a few years ago, uh, for Christmas, Mark got me a record player for Christmas, knowing that I had those and that they were just sitting there. And I literally cried like a little baby for like an hour (laughs) because I was just like, that is the most thoughtful. really thoughtful. Yeah. Like, who would have thought? And now I listen to records all the time and I love it. Yeah. (sighs) That's a good one. Thanks. What am I going to answer? I don't know. What do I feel sentimental about? I I don't know. I know Brittany would have gotten me probably a million things. <laughs> I know. My one of my love languages is gifts, but it's not big gifts. It's uh, like this made me think of you kind of gifts. Yes. Those are the ones that mean the most. Yeah. She hot damn, hot damn. There this it is. This one's recent <laughs> oh, too. Good. Like one I will say like uh something that you know my this is not the one I'm going to answer, but you know my love, my fucking love for Hannah Gadsby. Yes. <laughs> Coming into my mailbox today, uh, Brittany ordered the, her book her for me. Book? She had pre-ordered it for me. I just saw that it existed. I didn't even yeah. know. I just saw that it existed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so in February, I was able to be part of... The thing that's really great about the friends that I have at work are... Um, they invite me to things that I otherwise would probably have no business being at (laughs) just based on like what our jobs are. But, um, in February I got to be a part of this really cool event that, um, we, along with a couple other agencies put on that was an introduction to the criminal justice system for People who are here that, um, like, a lot of it is, like, the refugee population. Okay. That's, um, like, limited English proficiency speakers. So, the conference was for the helpers for that community. So, people who are advocates for, um, like, one of my favorite people that I met is a school teacher at one of the local elementary schools who, like, she literally does... Things like teaches these kids who are extremely limited at speaking English, like dial 911 and just say, like, your language and interpreter, you know? And so, like, the crash course or the introduction to the criminal justice system, like, presentation was for the helpers. Got it. So that then they can go scale what they learned in that um, seminar, whatever the fuck you want to call it. And take that and 
teach the people within their, you know, like scope. Yeah. Uh, like here is what you can do. Here's what you can expect. Like if you call on nine one one, here's what you can expect. Yeah. If you or somebody uh, makes contact with police, here is what can be expected. If you or someone you know is arrested here, like jail, like this is what you can expect when it comes to the jail, to working with victim witnesses services, to working with attorneys, to working with, um, you know, like literally ever, like probation and parole, like from start to finish, walking them through the process of the criminal justice system. And uh, they had it at Jump um, in oh, downtown uh-huh. Boise. And one of the, like, when Jump, and part of this was, like, it's still tail tail end of, like, mask mandates and things like that. So, at least, I don't know if they always do this, but at least for this, like, the lunch part of this day-long event, like, Jump packs the lunches in, like, the old school, like, tin aluminum lunch boxes. Okay. And there was one there that I just, you know, they basically separated, like, if you want turkey sandwiches, here's this. If you want roast beef, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I happened to see a lunchbox that was, like, it was NASA. And originally, I picked it up because it was NASA, and I just fucking loved it. But... On the side, it says, I need my space. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. And I was like, and they made several, several announcements throughout the day. Like, you cannot keep the (laughs) lunchboxes. lunchboxes Like, lunchboxes are, um, like, you have to return them. They belong to Jump. And... I was I was teasing the whole day that I was gonna steal one. I was like, nope, this is I was here like, for a law enforcement like, conference. Yeah, stealing some shit. And you know, like so, like my set of friends was there. Like Kristen and Nicole were very largely responsible for part of like the team who made this entire thing go. Like Andrea was there and. I mean, I know you that you are aware of all the changes at work and things like that. And yeah. so a couple of weeks later, I had a text from Andrea and she was like, hey, I hope I get to see you today. Like, just want to say hi. I have something small for you. <sighs> and we did not cross paths that day. And I walked into my office and there sat a NASA lunchbox. And I sat at my desk and just like, I was like fighting back tears oh, just at the thoughtfulness yeah. of it and how I actually really loved it. And everybody was like, that, that lunchbox is perfect for you because it's like, <laughs> I need my space. And so I have it, there's a filing cabinet directly to next to my desk. And so I have it very prominently displayed. Amazing. My NASA lunchbox. And there was uh, like in it inside of it was a card and then like uh hilarious that it was written in morse code but she gave me a bracelet that is written in morse code you are my person oh and so like i i mean i loved it but the lunchbox meant so much because like they all could tell i actually really loved it and yeah like nicole had sent me a link like you can actually she was like you it's yours for like Sixteen ninety nine, and I was like, "It's mine." Five finger discount, but uh, but yeah, the lunchbox. Oh, I love that. Yeah, that's brilliant. So, 
thought of something finally. Good job. <laughs> like I'm gonna go home and see ten things that I, I know, could have answered. Right? But I know. But yeah, that's it. I love it. Social media. It's a thing. We have it. Yeah, we do. Filtered through fiction on Instagram, filteredthroughfiction.com mm-hmm. on the web. And I think it is a wonderful idea if you would be like our friends, Lindsay and Ruby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> who, Biggest fans. Who basically have given us about 18 episodes of content. I'm <laughs> oh, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> went back and answered close to every single Seriously. hot seat yes. question. So. We're going to have some hot seat answers. Yeah, baby. Uh, starting next week, just because I have not gotten myself organized to read them. And I'm really hungry and I want to be done recording. Starving. <laughs> so thank you for joining us on our fourth damn season. Oh my gosh. Is that what I'm season four? Season Already? four. Time flies. But thanks for joining us. And until next time. Have spicy dreams! Bye! Bye.